If you got your Bibles, open up to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, I'll be there in just a minute. You know, as I was finishing up the series on the, the first chapter of 2 Peter, the 19th verse of that chapter just jumped out to me. Uh, it says, we have the word of the prophets made sure. We have the word of the prophets made sure. And that was true when Peter wrote his second letter in the late 60s AD. And he was specifically referring to Old Testament prophecies, which was my Holy Spirit nudge into Isaiah to start uh, this uh, December Christmas message series. Today, we also have the words of the New Testament prophets, including Jesus's very own words. And so for us, we can ground ourselves in both the Old and New Testament prophecies uh, and, and ground ourselves in the words that God saw fit to have included in our Bibles. We have the word of the prophets made certain and we will do well to pay attention to it. Remember, that was a common nautical term Peter pulled out of his old fishing days. It described how to hold a ship in a given direction until it reached its destination. We have the word of the prophets made certain and we will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. And I'll talk more about that in a minute. We will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. The last part of that verse uh, evokes some Advent season imagery that invites us not only to remember Jesus's first coming, but also draws us toward a fresh consideration of Jesus's second coming. And <clears throat> And the spirit and the bride say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Hey, remember that deal that uh, Ahaz made with the king of Assyria rather than asking God for a sign that I was talking about last week? Well, uh, that deal didn't work out too well. Um, didn't work at all out like Ahaz thought it was going to work, which is still the case every time that we choose to put our trust in someone or something other than God. Verse 1, Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless... There will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. As it turned out, the people who lived in the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali were some of the first ones taken into captivity by the Assyrian army. On the other side of that happening to them in their region, by the word of the Lord, a special honor was promised and designated for their descendants. That honor was being the region where Jesus would grow up, as well as where much of Jesus' earthly ministry would take place. Matthew remembered Isaiah and referenced this honor in his account about the start of Jesus' ministry. He wrote, Leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, we have the word of the prophets made certain. Verse two, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And in Ephesians five, we're reminded that all of us used to be the people living in darkness. It says, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather 
expose them. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible. This is why it says, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. You know, life on this planet can be full of challenges. And it gets even more complex when we allow or keep allowing darkness to have any place in our lives. Once we've surrendered the control of our lives to Jesus, we are called to live as children of the light. The Amplified says our lives are to be filled with every form of kindly goodness, uprightness of heart, and trueness of life as we learn in our experience what is pleasing to the Lord. For us to live like that, we've got to make repeated choices to take no part in and have no fellowship with the fruitless deeds and enterprises of darkness. Now, that no part and no fellowship pretty much eliminates the uh, a little dabble here and a little dabble there room that sometimes we give to darkness. No part, no fellowship with that with darkness means zero, zilch, nada, nothing to do with darkness. But what if we don't live that way? What if we don't live that way? Well, God loves us enough to let us experience some of the consequences of those poor choices. Always seasoned with his mercy and always with an open door for repentance and restoration. In the parable of the sower, Jesus used the same phrase, fruitless deeds of darkness, about the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of riches. Jesus called that thorny ground. And he said, when we give room for that in our lives, we'd still be able to hear the word, but then the thorns grow up and choke the life out of whatever good seed the word starts producing in our lives. The words in the language there is a picture of walking up to a fruit tree that all the fruit's been taken from the tree. It's a fruit tree. It's an apple tree. It's a pear tree. It's a peach tree. It's a pecan tree, but there's no fruit on the tree. The cares of this life can choke it out. You know, also when we make room for the deception of darkness, something else happens. Our potential for developing a slumbering spirit exponentially increases. Darkness distorts and confuses our life values. And then in that compromised state, when sin or circumstances entrap us or when trauma or grief overwhelm us, a lot of times we just let our spirit fall asleep. A slumbering spirit cripples our ability to function in many areas of our daily life. We lose our edge, life gets flat, feelings go numb, willpower dissolves into a constant lack of interest in anything, giving any place within us to any form of darkness is always a mistake. That seems clear and obvious, but I'm going to say it again because it's so important. Giving any place within us to any form of darkness is always a mistake. It's never a neutral choice. Because eventually, discouragement, depression, and even the great sadness comes with the darkness. And those can be difficult places to escape from once we allow them residency in our lives. If our spirit ever goes to sleep, God still uses a still, small voice whispering within us and singing over us to wake us up. Awake, O sleeper. Arise from the dead and Christ will shine and make the day dawn upon you and give you light. Awake, O sleeper. Arise from the dead, Christ will shine and make day dawn upon you and give you light. That Greek word awake, cool word, very action-oriented. It means to arouse from sleep or from sitting or lying down. But it gets better. 
It can also mean to arouse from disease, death, obscurity, inactivity, ruins, and non-existence. As a result, we lift up, rise up, rear up, or stand up, and we get back into the ready position again. Instead of being asleep, God works inside of us, wakes us up, breaks us out of those things that were holding us. We stand up and we get back into a balanced, ready position to deal with life again. Romans 13, 11, and 12 says, the hour has come to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and let us have put upon us the armor of light. That put aside the deeds of darkness and receive the armor of light putting upon us, that is a powerful combination. And as best as I can tell at this point in my life, that is the only way to live free and the only way to stay free. Set aside the deeds of darkness and allow God to dress us in the armor of light. And you know, as intimidating as darkness can seem and be at times, remember this, from the very beginning, God set boundaries on darkness and night. And from the very beginning, over the darkness, the chaos, and the void, the Spirit of God hovered awaiting God's declaration, let there be light. James 1 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And so still to this very day, it happens again and again and again. The people walking in darkness see a great light. And on those living in the shadow of death, the land of the shadow of death, light dawns. In the introduction of his gospel to Jesus' life, John wrote, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word already existed, and God created everything through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it, never overcome it, and will never understand it. In both the natural and in the spiritual realms, there's no competition between darkness and light. Whenever and wherever light shows up, light wins every time. Wherever and whenever light shows up, darkness leaves every time. Look at verse 3. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered uh, the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. In these verses, Isaiah declared some of the positive effects of the light of dawn into the lives of people walking in darkness or living in the land of the shadow of death. The light dawned and it brought in Isaiah's day and it still brings a fresh wave of increase, a celebrative joy, exuberant worship, victorious freedom, and peace. One version of verse three begins like this. You have magnified the joy to everyone who receives the light. There's a qualifying statement there. You have magnified the joy to everyone who receives the light. Who receives the light means that we've got a choice. We can receive the light or we can resist it. In John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. 
And then he said, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so following Jesus is another choice. We can follow and be led in the light, or we can walk in the dark and go our own way. Psalm 139, David pondered, Lord, where can I go from your presence? And after recognizing that everywhere that he went, God's presence still met him there, David wrote himself into this revelation. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Whenever and wherever light shows up, there is no competition. Light wins every time, and darkness leaves every time. A footnote in the New Living Translation Life Application Study Bible says, Jesus Christ is the creator of life, and his life brings light. And in his light, we see ourselves as we really are. When we follow Jesus, the true light, we can avoid walking blindly through the spiritual darkness that sin brings. Jesus' light lights the path ahead of us. He removes the darkness of sin from our lives. He illuminates the truth and he clarifies our thoughts so we can see how to truly live. Verse 6a, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. In Isaiah's day, the birth of a son was a matter of great rejoicing, and for a kingdom, the birth of a royal son to assume the throne set off an even greater celebration. This prophetic word about to us a child is born pointed all those years before it happened to Jesus's humanity. To us a son is given pointed to Jesus's eternal divinity, and the word Isaiah used for son meant the builder of the family name, which lines up perfectly with for God so love the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life Isaiah tied these ideas to a declaration about Jesus's authority uh, he said and the government will be upon his shoulders you know Jesus had all authority before he came the first time and Jesus had all authority while he was here walking on the earth Jesus has all authority now and forevermore. And remember his final words as he ascended back into heaven? All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go, you go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Did you catch that? The one who has all authority has now entrusted and invested his authority to and in people like us. We're his authorized representatives. We're his ambassadors. And there's still a lot of work to do advancing his kingdom on the earth today. And don't just read past the with you always part. The most effective way to serve God today is stay focused on and ready to work faithfully with him until Jesus returns. This is one of my little things that I come back to a lot, but I want to emphasize it again because it is so important. There's a huge difference between working with God and working for God. And at this point in my experience, again, I want to highly recommend to you being with God. I, I myself and I know several people who've done things for God. In our zeal and our excitement, we jump in and we go for it. And we give ourselves to do this great thing we think we're doing for God. And then it doesn't turn out like we thought. 
and we get in this burned out, frustrated place and we find ourselves against the wall and a lot of times we start shaking our fist at God or we get mad at God because, God, I'm doing this for you and it didn't work out like you said it. It's like, wait, wait. I guess you didn't say it. I thought that's what you wanted me to do. I jumped into it. I gave my whole self to it. There's something completely different happens when we position ourselves to hear from God and we engage with him with what he's doing. Scripture tells us that every day we wake up, the Father has prepared good deeds in advance for us to do that day with him. Again, I want to highly recommend to you, find those things, do those things. When we're moving with God, you don't run out of energy. You just keep going. The favor and the blessing of God just keeps coming on your life. You can just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it because you're moving with him in his grace, in his power, in his mercy. When we do things for God, a lot of times we get burned out and frustrated. So I highly recommend faithfully move with him. Second half, verse six, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And he will be called. In the Old Testament, names were often commentaries on a person's character, attributes, and the essence of their being. And here in Isaiah's prophecy, the multifaceted compound name he unveiled was meant to expand our understanding and our experience of Jesus. There's a promise in each of these names, and he is who he declared himself to be, regardless of whether we've experienced him like that yet or not. We're all encouraged to invoke and to use and to call upon the Lord by using these names. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Within each of these names, there's an open invitation to see and to experientially know and to understand God in these ways. How many of these names are already part of your history with God? Wonderful counselor. In truth, wonderful could be a standalone. Wonderful can mean extraordinarily great, a feeling of wonder, marvelous, excellent, exciting, surprising, admirable, impressive. One commentator noted, Jesus is wonderful. Everything about him is wonderful. His birth, his life, his words, his works. When was the last time the name of Jesus caused you to marvel? Do you stand in awe of the wonderful name of Jesus? Or have you become cool, apathetic, ho-hum, and oblivious to it? Are you moved when you think of Jesus? If not, you have lost some of the wonder and you may have calluses on your heart. That's a think about it moment there. This Hebrew word Isaiah used for wonderful actually means miracle. We were uh, working on the men's breakfast yesterday morning in the kitchen and, and uh, Tommy asked Stephen, he said, Stephen, do you believe in miracles? Stephen said, I am a miracle. I shouldn't be here, I am a miracle. And uh, it got me thinking more about that and I, and I just thought, um, how many here this morning would say that you've given your life to Jesus and you've been born again. Just up and down the hands real quick. Okay, now look around the room. And what you're looking at is a room full of God's greatest miracles, the changed and redeemed lives of people just like us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That miracle is supposed to propel us into a lifestyle of expectancy and growth and wonder. You know, our relationship with God should regularly be infused with things we can't explain. Our relationship with God should be regularly infused with things we can't explain. This week, um, as it turned out, Cindy was going a lot of different places in town. Sometimes she'll be at the house all week and not really drive too many places or we don't go together. 
But this week she was out all over the place uh, together doing different things, Fredericksburg, here, there. Uh, Friday afternoon she was up here at a meeting and, and as she finished the meeting I got back and she went to go get in her car and her car wouldn't start. The battery was dead. Well, in the moment, I was just so thankful that it happened right here when I was right there, and we just jumped the car, and she got back home, and then uh, next morning, jumped it again, got a new battery and all that kind of stuff, and after I got the new battery, and I was washing her car, and just this wave of gratefulness washed over me, because that could have happened anywhere. It wouldn't have been a major thing, I mean, getting your car started, I mean, it's not a ma- but it's just a hassle. It's just a hassle, and God, in his kindness, let the battery of our car, the... Uh, the eight-year-old battery in our car finally stopped. <laughs> Amazing that it lived that long. Uh, finally stopped. But when, that, when we're right there, and it's an easy fix. It's an easy fix. Listen, that's God. That's the goodness of God. That's, that's the wonder of God. That he even cares about little details like that and covers and protects and works that way in our lives. If we're not regularly experiencing things we can't explain... We're shortchanging our lives of the wonderful that God has in mind for us to live in and to know today. Sometimes this wonderful is just lavished on us in unmistakable ways, like what happened with us this week in the, in the car battery. Jesus always has been, always will be full of wonder. So we can anticipate him showing up like that in our lives today. And one of the main things that limits our experience with wonderful and the miraculous is just our willingness to unrecognize it for what it is. So let's keep the eyes of our heart open and let's live ready to be amazed by the wonderful counselor. In Hebrew, this counselor means to advise, to deliberate, and to resolve. I really love that about God. He's good at all those things, advising, deliberating, and resolving. He knows how to get us unstuck. He didn't just talk to us and, you know, sometimes you go get some counseling help somewhere and it just feels like, uh, they just want you to keep coming back because they're making money every time you come. They're, they're okay with you being stuck because you pay them every time you come. That's not the way God is. When God works with us, he speaks into our life. He gives us counsel. He helps us get unstuck. A New Living Translation Study Bible footnotes adds, God is exceptional, distinguished, and without peer. He's the one who gives the right advice. I just want to say it also helps on his part that he knows the end from the beginning. You know, when you, when you know the end of the story, you can sure help somebody when you're walking them through it in the right now. There's a patient and strategic element to God's timing and his ways. And as our counselor, as we process through our life events, he invites and welcomes our interactions and our conversation. We, we might as well just go ahead and be open with him. There's nothing hidden from his sight anyway. In the opening chapter of Isaiah, the Lord himself said, Come, come now. Let us reason together. He meets us where we are. He meets us just as we are. He meets us when we're on the top of the world. And he meets us in our brokenness, in our anger, in our frustration, in our confusion. Wherever we are, he'll meet us there. None of that ever causes him to get disillusioned with us. Because as Graham Cook loves to say, he never had any illusions about us in the first place. He honestly seems to enjoy hearing our side of the story. Now, with that being said, let me also say that I found at this point, it's more helpful and productive to talk with God than to talk at God. But either way, just keep talking to him. 
just keep talking to him. The, the, the worst mistake people make is when they turn their back and they just quit talking to God. He doesn't ever turn his back on them. He'll keep pursuing them. But we turn our back. God honors that. So I want to encourage you. It's better to talk with God than at him. But either way, stay engaged in the conversation with the wonderful counselor. While wonderful counselor applies to both God the Father and to Jesus, Jesus specifically used the word counselor to identify the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said. As we keep cultivating a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit, rather than being limited to our own understanding, to our own recollections, to our own remembrances of Jesus' words, we can live in a place of ongoing revelation and truth related to Jesus' words. Sometimes the Holy Spirit just whispers his counsel in our ear. This is the way. Walk in it. So many times it's the quietest voice. Every once in a while, if it's important, he'll shout at us. But most of the time, it's a still small voice. This is the way. Walk in it. Too many times we miss out on timely bits of his counsel because we don't ask him for help. Or we wait to ask until we, oh, I can't figure anything else out. Now let me ask now. And we could have saved ourselves a bunch of trouble. But God, he's still there, ready, willing, and able to help us. His presence dwells within us. And he has wisdom to freely share with us that is beyond what we can think or hope or imagine. So Jesus said something that's important. Ask and it shall be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Mighty God, the, ever, the, uh, the King James says, the mighty God, distinguishing God from all the other counterfeits. It's a title Isaiah used specifically for Yahweh. This mighty means powerful, warrior, champion. One direct way to translate mighty God would be the mighty almighty. The mighty almighty. Psalm 18, David wrote, for who is God beside the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It's God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battles. My arms can bend the bow of bronze. You give me your shield of victory and your right hand sustains me. And I love this part. You stoop down to make us great. What an amazing God we serve. He stoops down to make us great. He doesn't just keep it to himself. He, the mighty, almighty, reaches down, stoops down, brings himself down to our level to make us great. The mighty God loves to share and release himself and his power through people like us. And our access to his power comes through the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is already inside of us. Mercifully, this mighty God power is often made perfect in our weakness when we least expect it. His mighty power is made perfect in our weakness. He doesn't hold our weakness against us. Instead, he meets us there with fresh bursts of his power as the Holy Spirit rises up within us or comes over us in a fresh way. Everlasting Father. Again, King James used the distinguishing phrase, the everlasting father. Isn't it fascinating that God consistently identified himself 
as Father. Heavenly Father, our Father, Abba Father. And when Jesus came, he perfectly modeled the opportunity we each have to experience a personal, intimate relationship with God as everlasting Father. That's not only here and now, that's for the rest of eternity. Our access point to the everlasting Father comes through a born-again relationship with Jesus. Jesus clearly taught, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. One time Jesus even prayed, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. We're each invited by name to live in that revelation now. Right now, we can live as answers to that prayer that Jesus prayed. And right now on earth, we can walk with and know the everlasting Father in ways like we'll experience him in heaven for all eternity. Even right now, we can experience a relationship with God the Father right now, like it's gonna be on the other side and we don't have sin and all this to mess with us. Right now, we can experience and draw some of that down into our lives. As we say in our announcements a lot of times, what are we waiting for? <laughs> Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. In Hebrew, this word for prince can mean the head of any class or rank, the general, the captain that rules, the chief, the governor, the keeper, the master, the Lord. And it comes from the word to exercise dominion. This word for peace is shalom, peace, prosperity, wholeness, success. In this life, we all face battles from time to time to break through into peace. And this name reminds us that we never face those battles alone. We never have to endure through those battles alone. The Prince of Peace is always with us. And every day, as we intentionally call upon him, every day, as we rely on him and learn more and more to rely on him as the Prince of Peace, something else really cool happens. We have the opportunity to learn from him how to be a peacemaker. One night, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples and he told them that night, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So peace is already inside of us. And remember when Jesus sent his 12 disciples out on their own for the first time? One of the things he told them was, as you enter a home, give it your greeting. And if the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. And if it's not, let your peace return to you. The peace that we have been given is not meant to be kept to ourselves. Every day, God brings people across our path who could benefit from a little dose of peace. Sometimes that person that could benefit from is the one you're looking in the mirror in the morning when you get up to leave. But other times, it's other people he brings across our path, and we have the opportunity to release our peace to them. What happens if they don't want it? Well, just don't get your feelings hurt. Just take it back. Go find somebody else who will. There is no shortage of people who can benefit from peace. 
But the idea is that what he's entrusted to us, we give away. And then more rises up inside of us and we give more away. We learn to be peacemakers. James 3.18 says, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. In the King James, it says, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. And in the Living Translation, it says, those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and then reap a harvest of righteousness. You know, when gardeners are planting seeds, it's one seed at a time. When farmers sow and broadcast seed, it's handfuls or more at a time. And this Greek word for sow and plant, those that sow in peace, those that plant seeds of peace, it's farmer style. And it comes from the word that means to draw out. So again, that emphasizes the importance of keeping our personal peace tank full. So we have more peace and seed to sow into the lives of others. Making peace is usually a one act at a time effort. It's meant to be a way of life. It's a lifestyle that requires at least five things. Wisdom, patience, a humility of heart, a listening ear to the Holy Spirit. And then most importantly, probably number five, the courage to act and speak as and how he leads us to. Wisdom, patience, humility of heart, a listening ear, and the courage to act and speak as and how the Holy Spirit leads us. The Amplified says, the harvest of righteousness of conformity to God's will and thought and deed is the fruit of seed sown in peace by those who work for and make peace in themselves and in others. And that peace means undisturbed agreement and harmony between individuals in a peaceful mind, free from fears, free from agitating passions, and free from moral conflicts. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. The New Living Translation highlights the key idea. His government and its peace will never end. Wherever Jesus' power and authority govern, in those places, people and things find and experience tastes of his progressive and perpetual peace. The word Isaiah used for government comes from the root word for prevailing power and authority. Right now, we live between the times of Jesus' first advent and his second. And in these times, his government and his peace can be harder to discern personally, nationally, even globally. But be sure of this. Time is not only on his side, but it's also in his hands. And so in the end, his peace will prevail. Don't get caught up in all the headlines and the social media feeds because regardless of what they say, here's the truth. All over the planet, Jesus' government and peace is increasing. We can be part of that. We can be in on that. We can be moving with that. Or we can be freaked out by the things we read and see. 
All over the planet, Jesus' government and peace is increasing. And that word means it's being made greater in number, size, strength, and quality. His government and his peace is established and upheld with justice and righteousness, literally upheld by his just and virtuous verdict, which means it's upheld because he said so. His government and peace is also being accomplished passionately by the zeal, and that word is the jealousy of the Lord God Almighty. Hebrews 12, 28 gives us some clear and direct marching orders until Jesus returns. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship, serve, and minister to God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire and a jealous God. Suffice it to say, our God is passionate about all of this. And as we remember who he is, and as we regularly call on his name, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, we'll find ourselves more consistently living and moving in harmony with God and his ways. Not only now, but for the rest of eternity. Let's stand together. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Christ the Lord, for he alone is worthy. 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 Christ the Lord will give him all the glory. We'll give him all the glory. We'll give him all the glory. We'll give him all the glory. You're so worthy of our adoration. You're so worthy of our praise. You're so worthy of all the glory. Lord, open up. Keep opening up the eyes of our heart. Lord, let us see you. Let us find you. Let us move with you through each day. Let us live in your wonder, in your counsel, under the hand of the mighty power of God, in agreement with the everlasting Father, and in perfect harmony with the Prince of Peace. Lord, use us to release your peace. Use us to be part of the increase of your government and peace in the world where we live today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that every one of us has the opportunity and the chance to do that. No exclusions. You'll work with any of us who are willing to work with you. Draw us, Lord. Draw us more into your ways, into your timing, 
and use us to advance and further the work of your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And we'll give you thanks and praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen.